Welcome to Business Buzz. This is your host, Harold Littlejohn, CPA. It's the new year of 2018. Uh, it's already a few days old, but so far, so good for tax-type people. I'm in the midst of learning all this new law, and what's kind of exciting is when they have a new tax law, and they only do it about every 30 years, this gives people like me a chance to jump on the bandwagon right away and be, in other words, nobody can have been working with this new tax law longer than me is what I'm trying to say. So it's kind of exciting as a tax person. It's not always a, it's almost a joke sometimes, the image of the boring CPA, but my days are pretty entertaining a lot of times. I'll get calls from people with questions. I'll be able to help new people. I'll help people that I've known for 20 or 30 years that I see every year. It's it's really a lot of fun, and it's not boring at all. And now when they come out with this new tax revision, I really do feel that the revision of 1986 in a way was bigger. But so far in this new tax law, all the reviewing I've done, all the learning I'm doing, I'm starting to, I'm almost starting to realize that most most of the p- scenarios that I'm working with, I think 70 or 80% of the scenarios I've been working with with this new law and kind of seeing what's going to happen for 2018 versus 2017, I'm thinking that most people are going to have a tax reduction. And uh, to me, I'm I'm still not certain about the overall, this whole thing about the budget and they're saying that over 10 years, it'll be a trillion and a half dollars deficit-wise for this new tax law versus the old. I'm really thinking that if there's this many people getting a reduction in taxes, there's probably got to be enough spending and extra hiring to offset this to where this, whatever the deficit technically ends up increasing, there's got to be benefits in the hiring and the Social Security that's going to be being paid I just feel that with all these business people that are going to get some tax reductions, I think they're going to spend that money. I know personally I'm self-employed, and there's no doubt that if I can save a few thousand in tax each year, it's going to go back into my business. It's not going to be just uh, you know wasted money or frivolous money for me. I mean, I, I can't speak for everyone, but there's no question that this is something that if all the business people get tax breaks— it's going to help things in general. So I'm a little bit uh, kind of getting excited about just the numbers I'm seeing. I mentioned last time when I talked about the new tax law that one of the people that are going to get hurt in this, and it's really the first group that I've seen that's going to, is somebody who needs to spend a lot of money as an employee. It's called employee business expense. That whole section is going away so that An example I'm thinking of, other than the outside salesperson, which is the one I mentioned last time, the other example would be a lot of people go back to school and they spend quite a bit on education, and sometimes that education is deductible. One example of that that's, I won't say it's common, but over the years I've had a few clients do this, it'll be a teacher that wants to go back and get a doctorate degree that allows them to become a school administrator or principal. That education, even though it's sort of qualifying you for a new job, that education is particularly allowed in the current tax law as being deductible as a miscellaneous itemized deduction. I won't get too technical, but there were clients of mine who did this, and they might spend something like fifteen dollars or $20,000 each year for a couple of years getting this doctorate degree, and they were legally entitled to deduct that as a miscellaneous itemized deduction. That entire category is going away, which is, that that's the one area I see where some people are going to get hurt. Now, at the same time, that category goes away, but for people with the, using the standard deduction, they're in a, a married couple standard deduction is going from a little over 12 right now in the 2017 year, the, the one we're working on now during early 2018, 
But the 2018 year, which is the year these new tax laws apply to, that standard deduction is going from a little over 12000 up to a full $24,000. That means that even if one of these teachers I was talking about, let's say they're itemizing and they're, they've got itemized deductions right now of 14000 if that teacher goes and spends 10000 on deductible education expense, that would be, in the 2017 law, that would bring them up to about 24000 of total deductions. Well, the 2018 law that doesn't allow those miscellaneous itemized, the 10000 of education, the 2018 law gives this same couple a standard deduction of 24000 So they aren't really losing when you look at it that way. So even the one area that I've found to be negative for taxpayers will probably end up being offset by this extra standard deduction for a lot of the taxpayers who might have been able to use that. That, to me, is really good because even that group that I was thinking is going to get hurt, some of them will be okay because of something else offsetting it. That was really uh, my main take on the... I also want to explain a bit for all you business people out there, there's provisions of this, the biggest, the two biggest things in this whole tax, they call it a revision or a new tax law. It's just, it's a modification of things. The one big one is the corporate tax rate is a flat 21%. I explained last week that small corporations that don't make more than 100000 are actually going to have a small tax increase with a flat 21%, but Corporations that make more than 100000 are going to start getting a tax decrease with that 21% flat rate. But in truth, most corporations don't pay 37%, which is the old highest marginal rate. Most corporations don't pay that. And the statistic that I read was like they pay about 13% of their net in income tax. So the whole thing of 37 to 21 isn't true, but for a lot of larger corporations, I'm sure they're going to save quite a bit in taxes. The main other large thing that happened with this new tax law is this 20% deduction of qualified business income. It's going to be a lump sum deduction on page two, which is the page that brings you down to taxable income, but you don't actually reduce your business income there. And that 20% reduction could be a large dollar amount. The problem is it's going to be complicated and there's a lot of definitions of which businesses qualify for it, how it works if you have business with losses. But overall, it's going to be a very good deduction for a lot of people. The other interesting thing is when they got this thing finalized, they added rental business as a business. Now, rental net income, if you have a rental that's making a profit, and those are usually ones that people have held for a long time, not a whole ton of depreciation, uh, people who converted a house 20 years ago to a rental, a lot of those type of rentals are profitable rentals. A lot of new rentals are loss rentals, which is okay for taxes, but we're talking here about a deduction that stems from your net business income. Rentals all the way along have been sort of a hybrid. They're like a cross between a business and an investment. And in a lot of ways, they are treated not like a business, unlike a business. One of the big things that rentals are treated unlike a business is that net rental income is not subject to Social Security tax. If you're fortunate enough to have a rental that nets you, say, $20,000 a year, if that were your business where you were working and earning money and netting $20,000, you would have the self-employment tax, which is Social Security plus Medicare, of about 15%. But if it's rental income, it's not subject to the self-employment tax. So that's a $3,000 reduction right there from 15% of the 20,000 your rental might have made. So for rentals to now be lumped into the group, and there's going to be a lot of definitions, a lot of clarifications. The IRS is going to issue a lot of regulations 
and opinions and they're going to start saying how they're going to treat it, that's where all the arguments will come from over the next 10 years when people get audited and one person says, well, here, the new law says this and the IRS says, no, well, here's our interpretation of that and it doesn't include you, something to that effect. Those things are going to start building in the tax court and all that and that's how this law will end up being settled in the future as far as what it all means. But as of right now, rentals can be qualified business income. So what's going to happen with this qualified business income is, I'll just give you a quick example. Let's say you have a business where you're self-employed and you make $50,000 and you have a rental net income that nets you $10,000. If those are your two business items that you have on your tax return, that would come to $60,000. And as long as your total income from everything combined is under about 100, I believe it's 157 for single and a 315 for married, as long as your total income is less than those thresholds, you will get a 20% deduction off of this total of qualified business income. So your business that made 50 and your rental that made 10, that means your qualified business income is 60, you'll get a $12,000 deduction. Now, if you're in, say, the 24% tax bracket, that's going to save you $3,000 almost from your total tax bill. That's a pretty good savings. And it's going to be available to a lot of people, which is what makes me feel pretty good about this overall tax thing. As you know, the other side of the equation, whenever they talk about a deficit or if they say this tax bill is going to reduce federal revenue by the $1.5 trillion over 10 years, my argument with that and my problem with that is that there's two sides to the deficit. There's the revenue that the government takes in, and then there's the spending that the government does. My argument is that the spending side really never gets cut in any real way. The only way they're sort of faking a cut in the expenditure side is with this false, low-interest, quantitative easing craziness over the last 10 years where they've artificially kept interest rates very low. That's the only thing saving our entire system from imploding. When we have over $20 trillion of national debt, if the rate on that were to average, say, 7%, like a normal historical situation would be, 7% of 20 is one and a half. That would be one and a half trillion dollars a year just servicing the debt. You have to realize that the entire plan of the Federal Reserve since the 0708 crisis is to artificially keep interest rates low. And that's by, and I'll just say it, printing money and buying bonds. That's what's been going on for 10 years. Now, lately, the rates have perked up a little bit, which isn't good for the deficit. But my main argument, like I said before, is that there's so much waste in the government that $1.5 trillion over 10 years is very small compared to, for instance, the article I pointed out from, I believe, University of Michigan economists that did the study where... In just two large departments of the government over a 15-year period, they found $21 trillion missing. And I'll just, I'll just translate that to say stolen. And don't tell me there's a lot of people who don't know where that went. So our entire deficit thing to me is sort of a scam. I'll talk about that on the other side of this upcoming break. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA, and we'll be right back with Business Buzz.
Just call Royal Land. It sure feels like the weather is changing out there, and now's a great time to get your furnace tuned up before the cold really gets here. It's only $89, over 30% off the normal price. And while the technician is at your home, you can ask him about a new energy-efficient Linux unit or a complete solar system for your home. Trim that utility bill before winter gets here and save big. Royal Air, your local authorized Linux dealer. Call today at 899-9999. That's 899-9999. I want to thank my mommy for loving me so much. For, for taking, taking me to the doctor when I broke my foot. For, for leaving me alone when I wanted to be alone. And, and now, now, as a grown-up, I'm thankful for being able to take care of you, my dear mom. For taking you to your therapies. For understanding that sometimes you simply want to be alone. Roles change without us noticing. That's why AARP gives you the information to provide even better care for your loved one. Visit aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Business Buzz. This is Harold Littlejohn, CPA, your host. By the way, anytime you need any kind of financial or tax advice, help, assistance, second opinions, I offer a free initial consultation. I'd love to meet with you. My number is 895-3353. I'm at 1208 Mangrove Avenue. And you can also contact me by emailing herald at hlittlejohn.com. I look forward to hearing from you. It's uh, real nice to be in the same location in Chico for almost 30 years now. Uh, I know a lot of local people. I get referrals, and I really appreciate that. There's a lot of good CPAs out there. We're all on the same footing now because we got this new tax law to help you with. But I'm I'm available to help, so give me a call anytime. Another topic I've talked about recently, and I wanted to talk a little more about that, Retail mall space. What's going on with the retail world? Everybody knows about the fact that online shopping is starting to hurt what they call brick-and-mortar retail. An article I noticed in the Chico ER business section that I'll share with you a little bit. There's a new tenant coming to the North Valley Plaza. It's going to be near the old Mervyn's, which is part Goodwill and part some other sporting goods shop, I think. And I guess there's quite a decent large space in there that's available. Well, guess who the new tenant is? Guess what it isn't? It's not retail. It's not your normal retail where it's like, oh, uh, a new Forever 21's opening up. Or, oh, Sears is back in Chico. We're opening up in North Valley Plaza. Or, Penny's is back. We used to be there 35 years ago. No, I'm sorry. I'm afraid it's not retail. Now, I'm not saying this is bad, but I'm saying this has completely changed from the normal situation. So now the mall is getting the Butte County Department of Employment and Social Services one-stop center will be relocating to North Valley Plaza toward the end of 2018. Um... So there's a new lease for the North Valley Plaza location, and the current site on Carmichael Drive had more space than what was needed. So they they had leased on Carmichael down there on the south side of town, uh, more space than they had needed. So now they've got the uh, they're moving to the North Valley Plaza, and what's interesting about that is that that's good that the mall has a tenant. But this isn't retail, so things have changed so much that we're just we're just in a new whole paradigm here as far as retail, rental, land, uh, value of land, usage of business land. I sort of foresee the same type of thing, and I'll have to look up some stats, but uh, office space is not going to be what it used to be either. With all these uh, internet jobs, people working from home, companies letting people work from a home office... There's just not going to be as much need for retail space as there was before. And I think that's showing up in a lot of places. I'll have to get some statistics on that. But my main point here is that when the mall 
with North Valley Plaza, for those who have been in Chico a while, like myself, North Valley Plaza was the mall when I was here in school in the late 1970s. I left and went to work and got my experience in the Bay Area in the 80s, but I came back in the late 80s. And if I'm not mistaken, the Chico Mall was built sometime in the early 80s because it was it was here when I came back, and I don't recall it when I was in school. Of course, as a student going to school, you know, I wasn't shopping every day, that's for sure. So that's sort of the story of retail. Like I was saying, with Sears being gone from the Chico Mall, that was really kind of a shock, but it's just kind of a sign of the times. But what I did want to also share on the topic of the retail mall here, here in Chico, I wanted to share an article about the uh, the national mall scene, which I found here that I'm going to share with you. And what it talks about is what's happening with the title of the article is called Anticipating Death Spirals. Here's why shopping malls are in worse shape than you think. Now, the, the gist of this story is that the news is when, like, Sears leaves because that's the anchor store. But what this story is saying, since they dominate the headlines, it says here, first, just to put the mall economic model into perspective, uh, Green Street, which is a report, this is a place that put out a report from property research firm called Green Street Advisors. They analyzed 950 mall locations over 2017, 230 of which were collateralized within commercial mortgage-backed securities loans. The financial troubles for American mall owners might be even worse than feared due to organic tenant losses from lease expiration. So I'm just going to read this so I explain what the point of this article is and why why it's important. First, just to put the mall economic model into perspective, Green Street points out that while massive department store closures tend to dominate headlines, and I'll interject here, that's like the Sears closing makes a headline, they represent a very small portion of mall income. The real financial losses for mall owners come via the ancillary traffic impact on national and regional tenants, which pay the majority of mall lease income. Now, I'm going to stop here just to remind you. Now, think about the mall. What they're saying is that the anchor stores don't pay that much rent. They need the anchor stores to make the mall happen, to make the mall get other tenants. So it turns out that when the, and I didn't know this before, that's why I'm sharing this with you. When that big anchor department stores leave, that's not where the rental income loss comes to these malls. It comes from the ancillary losses after that. And here's, I'm going to read on a little bit. Facing widespread department store closure announcements over the last year and a dark prognosis from most industry experts, mall landlords have been doing their best to redevelop vacant boxes and prepare for a future with fewer anchor tenants. Although department store struggles have dominated headlines, they provide only a small portion of the mall's net operating income because many anchor tenants own their stores or pay little to no rent. Inline tenants, therefore, which are the ones down the row of the mall, like when you see Victoria's Secret or, uh, you know, the Wet Seal and all those clothing stores, inline tenants, therefore, have an outsized impact on mall NOI, which is net operating income, and their performance offers a preferred indicator of mall health. With shorter lease terms and a higher rent burden, many tenants are making decisions in real time within each mall. The best inline tenants to track are the 300 national tenants who have at least 50 mall locations nationwide and are constantly judging the performance and cost of occupying space within any given mall. While the department stores take up a lot of space, they don't guarantee much revenue for the mall owner. Sullivan said, the mall owner makes most of its money from the inline tenants. Now, I'll just say here before our next little break, what, why is this important? What does this matter? Uh, if the Chico Mall were to shut down and Target and Best Buy and Old Navy picked up the slack or whatever's going to happen, and Walmart's there down there too in the South Chico, 
you're thinking, what's the big deal? Well, here the big deal is what was a little bit earlier in this article. 230 of these malls that they studied were collateralized within commercial mortgage-backed securities loans. Okay, we're harking back to 2007 and 8 when the disaster happened with mortgage-backed securities bringing down Lehman Brothers, which then required this $12 trillion money-printing bailout. It also required the 10 years of zero interest that I've been harping on and talking about related to the deficit. All of this stems from mortgage-backed securities packaged as these big loan amounts that these banks invest in. I'll be back right after the break to talk a little more about the retail mall problem, and then we're going to get into some other real exciting topics. So stay tuned to Business Buzz. Harold Littlejohn, CPA. We'll be right back after the break. With home mortgage rates still near historic lows, now is a great time to buy or refinance. Michael Humes is your one-stop mortgage lender. Michael Humes and his knowledgeable staff are well-versed in a wide variety of loan types, including FHA, Fannie Mae, USDA, HomePath, and HARP. For a free evaluation of your mortgage needs, call him, 530-624-7942. That's 530-624-7942. Be sure to listen to Michael's Mortgage Market Update every Wednesday at 2.30 on Your Home Today. This is Michael Humes, Mortgage Specialist at Network Mortgage, located at 155 East 3rd Avenue. Then I'm a license 230273, BRE license 01250862, employed by Network Mortgage, BRE license 01840139, and a license 358237, equal housing opportunity. Welcome back to Business Buzz. Harold Littlejohn, CPA here, leading you through the treacherous world of investments that blow up and ruin the entire world financial system. Other than that, we're having a beautiful day here. No, it's early in 2018. I Like I was saying, I'm excited about the new tax law. But I was talking about tenants and uh, tenants in the malls and mall issues and why it's important and and a real interesting thing, like I say, I encourage you to look up this article. It's on a my favorite news website, financial news and regular news, called zerohedge.com, Z-E-R-O-H-E-D-G-E.com. And it's called Anticipating Death Spirals. Well, here's why shopping malls are in worse shape than you think. I encourage you to look up that article. What's really interesting visually in this article is a pie graph, which, you know, is a round circle that shows you the percentages of things. And this pie graph in this article is the typical net uh, operating income distribution of a mall. And it's amazing, I didn't know this. Two sides of this pie graph make up about, I would guess, 45 or 47% of the, and each one is worth about 47% of the entire graph, almost half. One's called national tenants, now, that would be like I was saying the limited wet seal. I mentioned wet seal and the buckle is one of them. These are stores at the mall that aren't the anchors. K Jewelers. I mentioned wet seal because they closed, they went out of business and closed about, I believe, four or 500 mall stores over the last few years. I know that store in particular because when my wife and I first moved here from the back from the Bay Area, she used to shop at that store. And so I remember it being in the mall right down there near Sears and they're all gone now. So, but it's amazing that this pie chart shows about, I'd say 47% are national tenants. The other half of the chart, almost 47% are called regional local tenants. Those would be actual local stores in the mall. I'm not sure there's that many of those left. I do remember in the Chico mall, there used to be like a candle store, There also used to be a Hickory Farm store that I believe was permanently in the old North Valley Plaza, and that was a locally owned store, but it was a national name, of course. So the little bit of this pie chart that has a little wedge of about 5% of the mall's net income 
comes from the anchor tenants. So I think this is very interesting. I think everybody should look at this because the entire world of these commercial real estate bundled uh, investments that uh, these malls are secured with, uh, I mean, these investments are secured by these malls, but these malls' value could go way, way down. And just like when houses went way, way down in 08, uh, this, what this is saying is that these malls' value could go way down so that this paper that all these places have been investing in and buying are very dangerous. In other words, the value goes way down, and so there's really no collateral for all this, quote, investment. Now think of it this way, and this is another topic I bring up quite a bit here on Business Buzz. If CalSTRS and CalPERS, the gigantic pension funds, if they have on their books all this investment that is so valuable, but a percentage of that giant billions of dollars of investment is are these uh, these commercial real estate uh, packaged investment like uh, this article is talking about, then uh, they're called commercial mortgage-backed securities, like the home mortgage-backed securities were in 07, and we all know what happened since then. What does that mean for the balance sheet of these places like CalSTRS and CalPERS, and they claim that they've got $100 million of these commercial mortgage-backed securities? What happens if they're only worth $50 billion when half of these malls close? That's the point of my harping on this subject. I mean, whether, you know, whether retail business moves from malls to online to Walmart to Target, uh, you know, there's still going to be purchases of retail goods. But the problem is these investments that are going to be essentially worthless or worth half of what they were worth before. That's the problem that I foresee as possibly, possibly happening. I don't want to be a doom and gloomer, but my whole job here, the reason I do this show, the reason I spend time trying to educate people And I'm not saying I'm right on everything, but I'm offering you another way to look at things. I'm offering you another way to look at your investments, to look at your safety, to look at your tax situation. I'm offering you an alternative to at least be the devil's advocate when it comes to not letting yourself get complacent and watching things go down the tubes. I know a lot of my clients, uh, I've been dooming and and glooming for a long time. I was dooming and glooming way before the 07 crash, but a lot of my clients have lost half of their half of their retirement savings, half of their bank account savings when the stock market crashed in 08. And of course, if they had have asked me point blank, I'm, I'd tell them I'm not, I'm not a financial advisor. I'll just tell you what I would do and what I am doing. And that's what I tell people. I say, I'm not a financial advisor, but here's what I've done. And I didn't lose 50% in 08. Of course, I also didn't make 100 or 200% uh, since the last five or six years because I'm way too conservative. I do not put uh, I do not put myself at risk with that kind of fake market stock market. But that's just my opinion, and I'm just trying to give you an alternative viewpoint so that you can at least think about making sure your money stays safe. Now, I've got a couple other articles I wanted to share with you. Uh, One, I just had to to bring this up just for fun. To me, it's fun. The guy who is touted as the genius of all time, this Elon Musk, I've mentioned him before. I've read a couple articles before. I don't believe any of his businesses have ever turned a profit. And his latest debacle is this thing he's got called SpaceX, which is a private company... And in an emailed statement, I don't think anybody, I don't, I don't watch a lot of mainstream news. And to be honest, uh, over this weekend being still sort of being close to the holiday season, I'm way behind on mainstream news and what they're talking about. But there's a thing called SpaceX. And basically this article is saying that Following the launch of the C, oh, the, the article's titled Musk Satellite, that's Elon Musk, the guy who runs Tesla and this SpaceX, he's like trying to launch satellites for the government. 
Musk satellite mystery deepens. SpaceX denies doing anything wrong. Following the launch of the secretive Zuma satellite into space aboard SpaceX's Falcon Heavy rocket from Cape Canaveral, now it used to be called Cape Kennedy, but I think they've changed the name back to Cape Canaveral. So that was all before I was, when I was a little kid, it was Cape Canaveral. After President Kennedy died under very mysterious circumstances, uh, they changed it to Cape Kennedy, and I guess now it's back to Cape Canaveral. I wasn't aware of that. Reports circulated that the new eye in the sky, which is worth billions, quote, is presumed to be a total loss after it failed to reach orbit. Of course, this one would think is a serious blow to Elon Musk's ambitions since government contracts can tend to be extremely lucrative and taxpayers will now demand alternatives to the Musk venture. Further, the company faces fierce competition for ULA operated by Boeing and Lockheed Martin, who will kick off its 2018 launch schedule with a Wednesday flight. But the mystery around the launch and the payload continues as in an emailed statement and the SpaceX company president, Gwynne Shotwell, said the SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket that took off from Cape Canaveral on, in Florida on Sunday did everything correctly. But, it says, which is odd since Bloomberg reports that the second stage booster section of the Falcon 9 failed, said a U.S. official and two congressional aides familiar with the launch, who asked not to be named because the matter is private. The satellite was lost, one of the aides said, and the other said both the satellite and second stage rocket fell into the ocean. Wow, I'll be right back after this break with Business Buzz. We're going to wrap it up. Stay tuned. This is Harold Littlejohn, CPA. over 111 and I had a stroke. 145 over 92 and then I had a heart attack. 150 over 90 and I had a stroke. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from silent. Get back on your treatment plan or talk with your doctor to create a plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. Everything's changed. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. How old does the Earth look to you? Millions of years old? Thousands? How can anybody know for certain? On today's Creation Moment, we show you why the Bible is the only reliable way to determine the correct age of the Earth. And now our Creation Moments host, Paul Taylor. Evolutionary scientists believe that the Earth is 4.5 billion years old. Does it look 4.5 billion years old? Suppose you came with me to England's Jurassic Coast to examine some of the dinosaur fossils there. Evolutionists say that these fossils are 65 million years old. Do they look 65 million years old? Creationists would say that these fossils were formed in the flood about 4,400 years ago. Do the fossils look 4,400 years old? What do they look like? 65 million years old or 4,400 years old? In everyday life, we do not make such errors. There is no such thing as an appearance of age unless we have something to compare it to. The 20-year-old actor in a teenage role has the appearance of a teenager because we have an impression of what a teenager should look like. But what does a 65-million-year-old rock look like? Given that, as biblical creationists, we do not believe any rock is anywhere near 65 million years old, we have nothing against which to judge its age apart from the Bible. The Bible makes clear that the rock containing the fossil must have been made in the flood 4,400 years ago. So it looks 4,400 years old because that's the only objective standard against which we can measure it. If you enjoyed today's broadcast, you'll be able to read thousands of radio transcriptions in our best-selling book series, Letting God Create Your Day. To find out more, visit us at creationmoments.com or call 1-800-42-BIBLE. Welcome back to Business Buzz. Harold Littlejohn, CPA, keeping you posted on all these interesting new businesses. 
So I'm not going to spend too much more time on Mr. Musk and his wonderful, unprofitable businesses, but it looks like his SpaceX is supposedly going to have 25 launches during 2018, including taking astronauts up to the International Space Station. Hmm. I would probably think twice if I was one of those astronauts uh, as far as who's going to be running these launches that I'm going to be sitting in, but... I'm not an astronaut, and I don't play one on television, so I will not comment on that any further. But just keep an eye out every time you hear, every time you hear about Musk and Tesla and SpaceX. Just take it with a grain of salt because I don't think any of his businesses have ever made a profit. Okay, I got two more articles to talk with you about before today's session is over. I hope you're sitting on the edge of your seat. This one is interesting. Everybody who thinks the economy's doing well, and some people some people think that, some people don't. I'm here to tell you there's more than one side of the coin, and there's more than one side of every story. I've got another article from Zero Hedge. It's dated uh, today. And it says, headline, Median family net worth below 1989 level. Debt to money worst since 1962. Now, when they say median, remember that there's three different kinds of averages that I know of that they mention. Uh, median, uh, mean average is like a real average. You add everything up and divide by that number, and that's the mean average. That's the normal average. But median means half are above, half are below. So median family net worth below 1989 level. So I'm going to go on with this article and just kind of fill you in on what I'm looking at here. As the stock market soars to new highs, here's some sobering statistics to consider. The stock market is at an all-time high, but Americans owe more, save less, and are poorer than in decades. Share of U.S. families with zero or negative non-home wealth. That just means non-residential wealth. 30.4%, and this chart just shows the uh, highest level since way back when. So it goes on to say, now the median family net worth is $78,000 as of 2016, which is very low. And the problem is, what's $78,000 worth in 2016 compared to what it was worth 25 years ago? So people would be a lot poorer, so... Uh, this article points out a greater share of Americans have more debt than money in the bank than at any point since 1962, according to Deutsche Bank economist Torsten Sloak. 30.4% of U.S. families have negative net worth despite the recovery in housing and the stock market. Median net worth is below where it was in 1989. But perhaps the most shocking stat of all is that on an inflation-adjusted basis, net worth may be the worst in history. And this is what I was just saying. $78,000 is not worth what it was in 1989, to say the least. So in actual dollar terms, average families right now have less than they did 28 years ago. And that money now is worth, I'd say it's about half of what it was in 1989. That would be my guess without looking it up. I mean, you know, I know for a fact that uh, rents in the 80s were probably half of what they are now. Food was probably less than half, but that's, uh, I'm not going to guesstimate these numbers, but I'm just saying that in general, it's pretty sure that this is going to be, this is not a very healthy recovery for a lot of households is what these kind of things are saying. So my next article that I'm going to share with you here at the end of the program is from my favorite financial commentator. You've heard of him before if you've been listening to Business Buzz. His name's Egon Von Greyers, and his article uh, recently, you can you can look this up, on a, it's a website called King World News, but uh, Von Greyer shows up here about once a month, I think. 
and I always enjoy the way he puts things. He's a Swiss guy who uh, is big on encouraging people to have part of their assets in physical gold. And the title is, This is the Real Reason Why 2018 Will Be an Absolutely Terrifying Year. It says, Welcome to 2018, a year that will be the culmination of at least 105 years of mismanagement of the Western financial system by governments, central bankers, and the elite. 2018 will be a year of major volatility in many markets. Stocks are now in a melt-up phase, and before the major bear markets start in virtually all countries around the world, we are likely to see the final exhaustion moves, which could be substantial. The year will also be marked by inflation increasing a lot faster than expected. This will include higher interest rates, much higher commodity prices such as food, oil, and a falling dollar, and many base metals will strengthen. Precious metals finished the two- to three-year correction in 2015 and are now resuming the move to new highs and eventually a lot higher. More on this later. For a century, a reckless elite has controlled the system for their own personal gain and thus accumulated massive wealth. Ordinary people have been totally cheated into believing that they have benefited by having all the material things that most of them can't afford, be it a house, car, computer, or iPhone. All on credit, of course. Whilst the elite owns most of the assets, ordinary people own the debt. Not just their own debt, but also the public debt burden, which irresponsible governments have built up, including unfunded liabilities such as pension and medical care. And when the financial system fails, ordinary people will suffer the most. We have seen a century of debt buildup from virtually zero to $240 trillion. Global debt has doubled since the beginning of the great financial crisis in 06. This has led to asset bubbles and overvaluations never seen before in history. If unfunded liabilities and derivatives are included, the total burden amounts to $2 quadrillion. And then this article shows, do you guys remember the mythological character named Sisyphus? He's the guy who was always trying to push the rock up the side of the hill, but he never could make it. So it actually shows a picture of that Sisyphus guy. So I'm going to continue. That is the enormous Sisyphean Sisyphean task that the world will have to struggle with in coming years. Although central banks and the elite seem clueless, they are clearly aware of the gigantic size of the problem. We know that these liabilities can never be settled. What happened in 2006-9 was only a rehearsal. In the last minute, central banks orchestrated a massive rescue program which included interest rate reduction, money printing, guarantees, liquidity injections, plus allowing banks, now this is important too, folks, plus allowing banks to value toxic debt at maturity instead of market. Now, I'm going to just take a little aside here since I'm a CPA. In 2010, they made a rule that these banks could actually value their assets at what they say they're going to be worth when they mature, not necessarily at the fair market value. In my opinion, that has made the entire world of accounting sort of a joke. Because when you look at a balance sheet and you're thinking about investing and you want to know how safe something is, how can you do that when these people are allowed to list something at a false market value? Okay. these measures. I'm going to continue reading. These measures temporarily postponed the inevitable collapse. They are unlikely to work next time, but since the central banks have few other options left, they will try the same things again, but next time they will fail. Now he says, in a previous interview, I discussed a new Phoenix world currency based on cryptocurrency technology and the likelihood of governments introducing such a system. This would have the benefit of fudging the fact that fiat money is worthless. Now, I want to remind you, and I've mentioned this before, ever since 1971, the U.S. dollar has not been tied to gold at all. The word fiat money is like fiat lukes, let there be light. Fiat money means let there be money. And what it means is that that's paper money, and it's only worth what people believe it's worth. It has no intrinsic value. Now, I'm going to continue reading. The new, quote, money based on crypto technology, would have a fake value which would make it hard to relate to the old currency. The same happened when the euro was created. 
Also, just like existing cryptos, which is Bitcoin and all that, the value would be inflated massively through manipulation as well as by demand from a gullible public. Governments would use this new office cryptocurrency to divert attention from the insoluble global debt problem. The governor of the Bank of England, Mark Carney, has just declared that the BOE, Bank of England, is seriously considering introducing an official cryptocurrency in 2018 already, and also that the Bank of England is in discussion with other central banks on this matter. The Bank of England has worked on this project since 2015. The technology was tested satisfactorily in the summer of 2017, according to Carney. He stated it is a most interesting application that is beneficial for financial stability and efficiency. He said, we are on the case. It obviously has nothing to do with financial stability since another fiat currency, this time electronic, can only very temporarily conceal that the world is bankrupt. So it is clear that central banks are already on the case for some time and see official cryptos as a solution to the global debt problem as well as the perfect way to control money. Through manipulation, they can easily create unlimited cryptos and hype the value. They can also electronically totally control individuals' money and their transactions. This is the perfect Big Brother system and thus another frightening attempt to severely limit the money and freedom of individuals. It is now very likely that Western governments will attempt to introduce such a cryptocurrency system in the next few years. There could be a U.S. crypto, EU crypto, and U.K. crypto, etc. It is also possible that there will be an SD crypto, special drawing rights. Uh, by the way, that's just the way the, the international payments get done through these things called drawing rights. It's kind of like a currency. But there will be many obstacles since it is extremely unlikely that countries like Russia and China will accept a U.S., EU, or U.K. cryptocurrency. These countries understand that all the new fake cryptocurrencies would just be just as worthless as the currencies they would replace. China and Russia have a very different plan. They will introduce a gold and oil-backed cryptocurrency, which will be far superior to any new money that the West would produce. With this currency, China and Russia will become the dominant economic powers as the West declines into obscurity. So, uh, this article just goes on to show all these different bubbles, uh, and it's too long for me to read you the whole thing, but I, I encourage you to look that article up. Uh, the guy's name is Egon von Greyers, G-R-E-Y-E-R-Z, and I'm telling you, he knows what he's talking about because this entire this entire debt system, and when he mentions 105 years, that stems from 1913, which was the year that the Federal Reserve was invented by our Congress. Well, unfortunately, it wasn't invented. It wasn't invented by our Congress. It was passed by our Congress. It was invented by a bunch of rich guys who owned our Congress, and so. When he says 105 years of this mess, that's what he's talking about. So uh, I'm just going to read the last paragraph real quickly here before the end of the show. Sadly, most investors will remain convinced that current times will last forever as stocks and cryptos move to new highs. Few will realize that we are approaching the end of the biggest bubble in history. For the few who understand the vital importance of preserving wealth, this is the time to own physical gold and silver and some precious metal stocks. Gold and silver will, in coming years, reach values which are hard to imagine. But precious metals should not be held for the potential major gains, but as insurance against risks which are unprecedented in world history. So I wanted to end with that today because I've been saying that everybody should have some physical gold as a hedge on the fact that their other money is based on a currency that is a fiat currency. It's only worth what people believe it's worth, and don't forget, I've told you before, the average life of a currency is 27 years, and ours is 47 years old now. So that's it for today. Thanks for joining Business Buzz with me, Harold Littlejohn, CPA, signing off. We'll see you next time.
KKXX, Paradise, K280GL, Chico, and K283AR, Chico, Yuba City, Marysville. With home mortgage rates still near historic lows, now is a great time to buy or refinance. Michael Humes is your one-stop mortgage lender. Michael Humes and his knowledgeable staff are well-versed in a wide variety of loan types, including FHA, Fannie Mae, USDA, HomePath, and HARP. For a free evaluation of your mortgage needs, call him, 530-624-7942. That's 530-624-7942. Be sure to listen to Michael's Mortgage Market Update every Wednesday at 2.30 on Your Home Today. This is Michael Humes, Mortgage Specialist at Network Mortgage, located at 155 East 3rd Avenue. Then I'm a license 230273, BRE license 01250862, employed by Network Mortgage, BRE license 0184 